Welcome to another episode of Failing Forward, uh, the podcast where we talk about success and more importantly, we talk about failure. We talk about the road to success. Uh, if you are not watching and just listening, the sounds that you're hearing are my guest's dog, Henry Horse, uh, which I've now introduced before my guest. <laughs> he's he's riding a bunch. He's upstaging me. He is. He is. He's adorable. Um, but I'm going to introduce now our guest is Ben Gleep. Now, Ben and I, have, we go back uh, 15 years, yeah. I think. Wow. Yeah, we go back to 2004 when I moved to L.A., um, you know, one of the one of the first friends I made out here. Um, and I know a good amount about your career offhand, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk as if I don't know everything about it. Ooh, I like this. This is like a magic trick. It's a magic trick. The, yeah, the audience, will, they'll half? never know. Yeah, you're going to be sawed in half. Okay. This is actually, uh, it's complete misdirection. The podcast is about me sawing you in half. Interesting. Yeah. In- oh, you did and it. I, was, I did it. It's done. Crazy. Yeah. It's, uh, this is actually my bottom half talking. It's incredible. It's, <laughs> I don't know how well, I do it. I usually talk out of my ass, so that makes sense. I heard that about you. So, all right. So, Ben. Also, strangely, your, your ass still wears a vest. It, it is weird that I do have a vest on my it. ass. Yeah. It's very strange. I don't do the vest as much anymore. Really? I did, I did it for about five years. You're not doing the vest as much? Not as much, no. And, okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. People are getting used to that. I appreciate and, that. But, but it's funny because people started showing up to shows in vests, and now I don't really do it anymore. <laughs> so, they're showing up cosplaying as me from a year ago. You and I both love to have a trend start and then jump ship from yeah, it. Yeah, and then be like, we did it. We accomplished this trend. It's the opposite done. of the branding we were told we were supposed to do, but hey, what? Yeah. All right, Henry, what are you doing, buddy? No. Anyway, oh okay. God, I took a dump in the studio. No, no, he, he didn't. Did. He did? Want to do one of those pauses we've been talking what? about? Did he really? He did. What? Where is it? Wow, I don't even right, see it. Right back there. Let me okay. clean that up real quick. I'm so sorry. All right. Uh, while Ben cleans up <laughs> dog poop. Holy shit. This is where Ben's career is right now. Uh, <laughs> We're going to fail forward from this episode, buddy. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right. As we as we clean up from Ben's dog. So, uh, let me introduce exactly who Ben is. Because uh, right now, um, you're probably best known as the host of Idiot Test, which aired for four seasons on GSN, um, as well as now it's trending on Netflix. It's crushing it on Netflix. Um, you know, it was a it was a recommended show. I didn't even know if they knew. Uh, I didn't. <laughs> this is very distracting. I didn't even know. You know, I don't think they knew that I knew you, and Netflix recommended it to me. You know, like you might like. Oh, I like that. You know, such and such. Um, and I was like, I do like that show. So, uh, you know, that that was a. I think that was a big game changer for you. No pun intended. Yeah, big time. Um. But and you're doing all all sorts of things. You just hosted a giant um, a giant get out the vote uh, for the midterm elections it's called the Telethon of America. They also created, head wrote, and executive produced. Yeah, with all kinds of crazy crazy big famous people. You know, Natalie Portman, right? And Natalie Charlize Portman, Theron. Charlize Theron, Chelsea Handler, Jane Fonda, Justin Theroux, Amy Schumer, Julia Louis Dreyfus, Ray Romano, Pete Davidson. The list goes on and on. Yeah, I co-hosted crazy. it with Olivia Munn, partnered with Michelle Obama's When We All Vote. Um, so you're doing big things is the point. Everything True. is good now. True. So, but the whole premise of the podcast is let's talk about when things sucked or when things were almost good. <sighs> I've never failed on anything. Never That's failed? the only problem. I've known you for I should have mentioned that I before I agreed if, yeah. to this booking. Yeah. Well, you know what? This was a great episode. And <laughs> thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, breaks you thought you had. Great. Um, things that, you know, things that... You had to you had to pick yourself up from. Now I know a couple of them, but what what do you think is the biggest for you? 
What stands out to you as a moment when you thought you had something in it and it slipped through your fingers? Well, there's definitely a handful of them, but the, the first one that popped into my mind when you asked me to do the podcast was I was cast in what I was sure was going to be the game-changing big break of my life as one of the leads in an NBC primetime comedy series called The Real Wedding Crashers. This is great. That's the one I, I wanted to bring up. Oh, good. It's the same one. Yeah. Oh, good. And, uh, you know, being the lead of an NBC show, cast of five, it was literally my face on the network IDs. And, and this was also about a decade ago, right? Yeah, 2007, 12 years ago. So that's also when broadcast television was much bigger. Oh, yeah, big time. It was a lot bigger, and that was part of the problem because our ratings did not sustain the numbers that were needed back then to succeed on network. But it would have now. It would have <laughs> it would have now done pretty fine. Not still amazing, but it would have been fine. But so you're you're at a place where you're the lead in a comedy show. You get you you're creatively get I was playing multiple characters. When in is this episode? Aired? It aired after Heroes. NBC Primetime Monday nights. Heroes was the biggest show in the world back then. So, so Heroes was, like was your lead in. Lead. Yeah, Heroes are lead in. And uh and I believe a prank show. Prank show, but it was hour long. Ashton Kutcher produced. We were going to be um Pranking, crashing real life weddings. So it was like main. It was like a more mainstream punked. Yep. And so Ashton Kutcher was like, "Okay, I'm going to do a version of punked, but for network." Right. And there were some errors that were made in the way the show was uh, done and edited. That you know, just some wrong calls. Shouldn't have been an hour. You shouldn't have an hour long hidden camera comedy show. Yeah. It shouldn't have tried to also have a lot of heartfelt moments during the weddings. They tried to have heartfelt moments yeah. during the weddings? So thanks for watching, Steve. So I, I was about to make a joke about how clearly I didn't watch I did watch clips of it. I did watch your clips, but thanks. I didn't know the other people. So And really so care. well and other people, by the way, all have failed forward pretty darn well. Yeah. So the cast and, and so we try to have heartfelt m moments and we'd be messing with people's lives, but also letting the wedding like have beautiful moments and it didn't work so well. They also gave away the reveal at every commercial break. I digress and complain for no reason. But our <laughs> cast of five was myself yeah who's gone on to some things steve byrne who has gone on to a huge career one yeah. of the best stand-ups in the country and had his own sitcom for years on tbs Catherine reitman who um created a show called working moms i believe that's the name of it that became popular in canada now is popular on netflix as well yeah uh desi lydix a ca uh, correspondent on the daily show now and gareth reynolds has had a great career He's burgeoning now in stand-up and he had a tv show for a while of his own and everybody's gone to do good things but no one in the cast except for me believed the show would be good i believed it was going to be a huge hit so everyone who was doing the show at the time was just like oh there's just a paycheck they knew it was a sinking ship and i'm an eternal optimist and i believed it was going to be huge why did you believe it was going to be huge i'm just an optimist i just always see the positive and, and the possibility of something turning turning big it's also ashton kutcher producing a show on nbc totally. which is a pretty big deal totally and I hired a publicist, one of the biggest publicists in the business, spent a lot yeah. of money, and the cast was literally pleading to me, like, Ben, please, do not waste the small amount of money we're getting paid to do this show on a publicist. It won't do anything for us. This is not our break. And I'm like, mm, I think you guys are wrong. But and they could, were right. You wanted to turn it into a break, though. I wanted to turn it into a break. I wanted to maximize whatever exposure we but got. But it was broken. <laughs> it was broken. And so I still don't regret it. Um, the publicist did not do anything of value for me. <laughs> that I kind of regret, I guess. But <laughs> Yeah, I don't regret it. Other than spending money for nothing, I do not regret. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of seduced into signing that contract. But anyway. Um, yeah, I've, I've definitely had that happen with... 
I had that happen once with a publicist where when nothing was happening, finally, I just said, give me a list of everyone who said no to you. Uh huh. And they gave me this list and I just started, I found a couple of those people on LinkedIn and I said, hey, you ever get a pitch from this person? And they said no. And that's why I fired the person. Wow. But yeah, that was one where I was like, oh, this is a person just taking my money. Yeah. Which happens in this business a lot. And, and it's hard to know when that's going to happen ahead of time. It's, you know, you get very excited by who they say they work with and et cetera. Um, you know, and, and who their connections are, whether it's on LinkedIn or Facebook or, or Instagram. But then you just go, oh, these are just people that they, you know, follow cold. So... It's okay. very frustrating. It's a big theme in general in the business. A great percentage of my failing forward moments were working with people who promised a lot yeah. and did not deliver anything. Well, let's talk more about the Royal Wedding Crashers. Sure. How many episodes? Six. And so they filmed six? Filmed six. And all six ran in a regular time slot? No, sir. Four ran in a re- Well, two ran in a regular time slot. They slightly changed our time slot for the other for the next two. And then they, what they change it from and to? I don't remember. It was a ten originally, and then moved to like eight o'clock or something. Because it's so it interesting to me how little chance TV gives yeah, a show. It's very dumb. It's uh, Firefly is is one of my favorite shows that have that has ever been made. They aired episodes out of order in a serialized show. It's insane. Yeah, they don't give the right shots. There's no more that where, where Seinfeld has three years to get good and find an audience. Where Conan has three years to find yeah. his sea legs and get a following um to move a show after two weeks is crazy and then to cancel it after two more weeks when there were only two episodes left is insane because nbc at the time was really struggling and they didn't need the bad press they gave themselves by doing that because yeah. it's been covered in every e-news ryan seacrest is saying real wedding crashers canceled after four episodes and then style network picked it up and aired all six so so they okay so two, they made two 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 very non-existent reviews. Yeah. I don't know that it like, caught fire on Style Network, per se. It could have been Style's most popular show ever. And still, I didn't know and anything still about no one, Yeah, still That's no one fact. watched it. So you shoot, because six episodes isn't even a season. It's like half a season. Well, it's, that was a season for a show like that. It was a short-run special series. Right, that's like the the preview season of a show. That's like uh, when, they, when they do, you don't think if they... Picked it up for a season two. You think it would have been six episodes? I do because it's 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 not a show you can do a ton of. It's like what did t- they replace it with? Oh, I don't know. Definitely not another hidden camera show. Because that's always interesting to me when they go. Because it takes time to shoot a show. Oh yeah. It takes from the time a show is pitched to the time it is finished being edited. Sometimes it can be two years. And that was the most. And this was not two years. It was a fast turnaround. We shot like in February and it aired in like April. Um. But they needed to turn around very quickly, and that was part of the problem, too. But um, it was a very intense shoot, too. It was, I called it being in the comedy CIA. There were million-dollar budgets per episode, and it's a hidden camera show. If any one of us has a false moment that seems like we're acting, the whole show's ruined. The episode, a million dollars down the drain. Yeah. It was the most intense. We had Instead, they just... wireless earpieces. We had security guys hidden in fake walls that would take us when we were about to get beaten up by marks and... Have us go into walls to avoid being beaten to death. It was intense. But you also accomplished all of that, and then they still wasted $2 million. They wasted $6 million. Well, I, I was saying because they never aired two of them. Well, they sold it to Style Network, Steve. You're not giving Style Network the... the I'm sure this, Style Network, Network... I'm sure Style Network is not. I'm sure Style <laughs> Network paid not a million dollars for the rights to air. That is probably true. Yeah. 
Uh, they might have paid a million for all six. Well, I mean, each episode. Oh, they yeah, did, no, they did no, not they did. pay. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. There's yeah, no, NBC did was, not make their money back. The show was maybe a, a break even. Yeah. Maybe a break even, but it was not a hit. When it got canceled yeah. um, off of NBC, is that something that they called and told you, or is that something that you read about? No, I just read about it. You, so you just did you have like a Google alert? Maybe somebody messaged us. Maybe there was an email saying, just so you know, we're not going to be on the lineup this week. I'm surprised you don't have that moment burned into your brain. Yeah, no, because I don't, I don't focus on failing. Yeah. I just don't focus on it. Like, I was fully aware that the cast, and they warned me not to put too many eggs in this basket, was likely right. Yeah. I just hoped they were wrong. I thought there was a chance they'd be wrong, and I wanted to gamble on that chance. When you lose a bet, you don't sit there and mope. A yeah. gambler gets up and puts another bet on the table or walks home. So you don't... Figures re- out your next move. <laughs> so you don't remember... I do not remember... I do remember just in, somehow the clip of Ryan Seacrest saying, in another setback for NBC, the real wedding crashers pulled off the schedule after four episodes. That's actually probably... Um, uh, that's, a, that's a tough moment, just Ryan Seacrest being the one to Break report the on to your you. fate. Yeah, yeah, that is not the person you want necessarily letting you down easy. Yeah. He's so cheery. Yeah. No one got with tinted eyebrows telling you bad news. Yeah. Yeah. So that <laughs> frosted tips on that his was eyebrows. Tough. That was a little bit tough. Exactly right. <laughs> oh my god. Exactly right. And the eyebrows are taller than he is and so yeah. do you he's remember being weighed down by his brows? Yeah. I meant eyelashes to say. I meant to say eyelashes. Eyelashes. I, I always confuse those words. I don't know why. Eyebrows and eyelashes. Yeah, tinted eyelashes. Yeah, the lashes are just below the brows. Okay, got and it. I only know that cuz I'm looking at a face right now, <laughs> which helps. Um what what is your – how quickly did you get a break after losing Real Wedding Crashers? I was fortunate. It was pretty quick. Um, so, well, okay, there's a big falling forward moment – falling forward or failing forward. Yeah. Uh, well, you're going to tell us after that. this break. Ooh. Look at that. Uh, there's so many more failures I want to get to. Those <laughs> but we got we to gotta pay the bills so we can fail forward. Uh, coming back right after this. Welcome back to Falling Forward. I'm your host, Steve Hofstetter, joined here with Ben Glebe. And of course, uh, if you like the show, make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, all that stuff, because that is the way that this becomes a success. Um, obviously, it already is. It's a runaway success. Everything's great. Everything's, People are talking about it on the streets. They really are. In, in Like you and I were on the street earlier when we were talking about it. You and I did mention it. People walking by, we had flyers. Yeah, that was important. We're going back to flyering. All right, what's the, what's the big, speaking of failing forward, <laughs> right. what, that, that's definitely failing that's backward. That's the big, yeah. So what's the, what do you think the moment is before Wedding Crashers? Because that was the one that I was thinking, real right. Wedding Crashers. The real Wedding Crashers. Right. So I had a big moment before that. Um, I mean, there's several. Can I just run through two? There was one Absolutely. really big one. We got, but, we got another 15 minutes or so of the program. So as you remember, initially I was always produ- producing and promoting College Night, The Laugh Factory. Yes. Which eventually became Comedy Juice. Yes. And Which, by the way, people, please continue to support Comedy Juice. Yes. Steve has taken the reins from me and Scott Richardson. Yeah. Um, and you're doing amazing things with it. Thank you very much. Um, but uh, we started it as a weekly show, The Laugh Factory, and we were promoting it. And working our asses off, literally passing out tickets, sign-ups for free tickets, screaming our lungs off in busy street corners all around L.A. for years, trying to get people in there every week. Oh, I remember that. And then we had an offer from the improv to bring it there and wanted to keep doing it at the Laugh Factory as well. And the Laugh Factory said no. The Laugh Factory said, you cannot. Henry, please do me a favor and don't, don't growl, okay? We're doing a podcast here. I'm talking about success, so do not growl, okay? Please. He's, he's adorable. 
Thank you. He's so adorable, but he does not usually a growler. He's thinking he's seeing his reflection in things. Yeah. I, need, I need you to fail forward he's, right now. He's, and gra- learn from he's your growling mistake. at the other dog that he sees. That That's looks right. exactly like him. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, bring, bring him up so the cameras can see him. Okay, so so, so what happened? And I got a call from Jay Masada of the Laugh Factory, who I love, and I still work at the Laugh Factory today after about a 10-year hiatus of being unofficially banned, I guess. Yeah. And he called me and said, Paddy, I know what you're doing. You're doing short at the improv as well, Paddy. You can't do both. Your show is done here at Laugh Factory. Mm-hmm. After I crushed it for him for two and a half years, and it just got taken away. And we knew there was a chance that would happen, for sure. Yeah. We knew that was a chance, but... We needed to go a place where we could make real money. And that was a scary moment because we lost what was the one main thing that we had and gambled at this next show at the time when the improv was not doing well. The improv was severely struggling. And do you think, I'm sorry to interrupt this, but do you think that part of that was because you didn't tell Jamie ahead of time? Do you think it would have been different if you had like sat down with him and said? Yeah, it might have been, but he was a hard guy to talk to at the time. Yeah, and you know. But yeah, it totally might have been. And I'm not blaming him. He's uh, understandably he had a show that he thought was maybe exclusive. We never discussed it being exclusive, but yeah, I totally could have sat down with him. I suppose it was just it was I just didn't see him handling the news well, right? And I didn't have an exclusive contract, and I figured why who's to stop me from doing two weekly shows? He is right, exactly right. <laughs> and then you found out exactly who is to stop you, exactly right. And that was a moment when my mom gave me some advice when we were deciding to even go there because we we knew there might be some bad repercussions, and and she gave me advice that still rings for me true today. She said, sometimes you lead life and sometimes life leads you. And you have Ooh. to be able to, you have to be comfortable with that ebb and flow and not always being in the driver's seat. And so we made that move and decided to let life lead us for a while. I'm sorry, that was a moment where, where we let life. Yeah, we I made was a about decision. to say that. Sorry. Yeah, wouldn't that be a great, if the moment of inspiration was, and that's <laughs> and when we decided to be passive characters in our own lives <laughs> well no because then i did become a passive character in my own life very soon after so i was always the guy that created my opportunities in college yeah. i had my own tv show my own radio show in high school my own i was station manager in college i graduated i created my own show for national lampoon network and hustled and did some of the best work of my life on network that nobody saw and did a lot of stuff similar to what like the nick kroll show did on comedy central years later but nobody saw mine and millions saw his and and there's so many times when you feel like you're doing the work that should take you to that next level, but for whatever reason, it doesn't get seen by the audience you want, doesn't get yeah. received by the audience you want, isn't prepared right, isn't edited right, isn't executed right on your own, from your own self. You're doing something that's maybe too artistic and it's not as broadly appealing and that's your fault for not appealing to your audience or appeasing your audience the way that they want to be appeased. And if you don't, then be happy with the size audience that you get. Yeah. And so... Um, for whatever reasons that happened a lot of times in my career, it still happens. And so then finally that show I did for National Lampoon, the, the Glebe show with Scott Richardson, we sold it to Fox. We partnered with Lorne Michaels of Saturday Night Live and Broadway Video. He was the executive producer of our show. Joanne Alfano was the executive producer of our show. And we sold it to Fox for a put pilot deal to make a pilot. And we we're gonna be doing my own hybrid sitcom, hidden camera sketch show on Fox. And, and how old were you at the time? This was 2006, so it was 13 years ago. I was 27. Yeah, and that's a pretty big deal. Pretty huge deal. Yeah, I was on every development list. It was the Untitled Ben Glee project at Fox. People were like, "Oh, you can get spots wherever you want right now." And so we had the show sold, and it was a very challenging nine months of developing and writing and rewriting that pilot. Yeah, and we went through five drafts until the production company, Lauren Michaels' company, was happy with it. 
and we eventually got to the script to place we were happy with and we turned it into the network and literally that weekend the entire comedy department was fired at Fox save one person and what happens when that happens is they usually clear the slate. Everything gets cleared. Because you can't, the executives can't take credit for a success, but they can be blamed for a failure. This is, this is something that's going to come up on this show a lot, so I just want to take a moment to explain this very carefully to the, to the listeners and viewers. Um, when a new development executive gets hired in a network, they cancel everything that's not on the air yet. And the reason for this is, which you alluded to already, is if they put something on the air that was someone else's idea and it works, they get no credit because the person before them is the one who actually discovered it. But if they put something on the air that wasn't their choice, but they still air it and it fails, they get all the blame. Mm -hmm. So it is a self-preservation technique, which I completely get, but it's very weird because- I don't completely get it because if you get credit for it being a success, if you, you get don't credit, get credit for, for, for it, it to be if, a if success. If you get blame for the failure because you chose to put it on, you should get credit for the success for you choosing should, to but, still put it on. But you don't. And I do because understand this why. Because is just fickle and stupid. Because right. people don't don't care about people with good eyes and knowing what's good and what's not. It's all about proprietary. I, I found something even though you never found it. You were a heat seeker. But yeah, anyway. Because the person beforehand is going to take all the credit even though. I mean, hell, the person who greenlit the pilot for Lost was fired over it. Because they were like, this is ridiculous and it costs so much and blah, blah, blah. And then it ended up being a huge runaway success. The person who approved the last episode should have been fired. But anyway. <laughs> so... The <laughs> so dogs climbing the, the wall. The reason, yeah, it's it's happening. You know, Henry's climbing the wall. So I I do understand why that happens. I do understand why that person makes the decision. But it's so weird that the network is okay with allowing that. All that wasted money, right? The network has put nine months and a lot of money yeah. into developing a project. Yeah. Sometimes this happens with, uh, you know, they've shot a season of something. And they just haven't aired it yet. And then it just gets shit-canned because they fired the, whatever development person and the new one. Uh, and sometimes they don't even – it's not even that they fire someone. It's that they, like, hire a new big boss because they had an opportunity to get new talent from another network. And then that happens. And it's it's weird and it sucks, but it's something that happens as a common thing in our industry. True. And you have to move on again. And so I did that. And it was during a very hard year. My father had colon cancer and that he thankfully overcame. But – I was trying to coach him through that, and it was emotionally very intense. And then one day we get a call that they passed on it. Is that a call you remember? I do remember that call very much. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had my whole life's eggs put in that basket. I mean, you're someone who – you don't even remember when your show got canceled on NBC because you focus so much on what's the next thing, what's the next thing, what's the next thing, which totally. is – I mean, not something you're just saying on this podcast. Something I know about you. Mm -hmm. You're, you're, you are an an eternal optimist. You're mm -hmm. someone who, no matter what happens, you're just always like, okay, well, what else are we gonna do? And, but to have the show that was named after you, created by you, on Fox when you're in your twenties, mm -hmm. to be that next person, you know, you're you're gonna be the next big thing, yeah. and then to have that rug pulled out from under you. Yeah, that was not a good moment, and it put me into such a shock state that I didn't. That's the one time I I don't I don't regret what happened next, but I failed forward in a way where I decided to let that quote of my mom's shift to the other side, and I, I decided to go into a passive phase of my career. And how long did that it, last? It took out so much of my steam. 
of creating my own projects, I poured my heart and soul into it. I literally tried everything I could possibly do to manifest that reality. And when it was pulled away, I just said, I can't be in the driver's seat for a while. And it lasted like six years. Wow. For about six years, I did not create a project of my own. You I, just... I just tried to get cast in things. I auditioned for things. I waited for work to come to me. And I got really lucky that I was lucky and talented enough and knew enough people that shortly thereafter, Real Wedding Crashers came. And shortly after that, actually even during that run on Style Network or on Bravo even, um, Chelsea Lately came around. Yeah. And they asked me to to be on that show as a roundtable guest. And, and you were went, on Chelsea it went 80 well, times? Over 100 times. Over 100 times. I, I went on once and it went great and I was invited back about a month later and about a month, every month for seven years. Wow. Um, and by the end it was even every week or two. And I became one of the real most featured regulars in that show and, and um, it was a great joy and it helped bring me to national prominence in a way that the Real Wedding Crashers did not, that my failed pilot did not. But then you went back to creating things. I did. And so the day that I went back to creating was a very interesting moment. Kevin Smith changed my life, got me back on that. Um, one morning I woke up in the afternoon. <laughs> I was about to say, I know your sleep schedule. <laughs> if, if it's morning, it's because you were still up. Yes, true that. And I get a call from my friend Eric Pankowski, who worked at... Um, uh, I forget the name of the company, but I think it was Telepictures, actually. And he says, would you like to come do the panel, kind of co-host this um, pilot with Kevin Smith this, in the, in a few hours? Somebody dropped out, and Arden Marine and Kevin Smith are co-hosting this pilot, and they need somebody else to be on all the segments of the panel um, with you and, and them and Seth Rogen. Wow. And I was like, yes, please. And they paid me well. Yeah. I like negotiated really quickly on the phone, a pretty good payday on that. <laughs> and I go down to the production studio and into a conference room with one of the most iconic filmmakers of our time, a man I grew up watching and his films influenced me and I love so much. And he'd watch my videos and he was like, dude, you're fucking hilarious. And I'm like, wow. That's amazing. And I do this pilot and there's a rap party afterwards because it was their last episode of like three days of shooting this pilot. And instead of attending the rap party, Kevin Smith and I smoked a joint. And he asked me to tell me, tell him my life story. And I told him the story about all these things I mentioned, my college show and then Real Wedding Crashers and then my show for, for, Fox, uh, for Fox. And he says, well, so you're a creator, man. You're a producer like me. What are you doing being on panels like my show and Chelsea Lately? Why aren't you out there making your own destiny happen? And I told him that quote from my mom. Yeah. Sometimes you lead life and sometimes life leads you. And I said, maybe you're right. Maybe it's time that I lead my life again. And when you have an icon telling you something like that and recognizing what you're really good at, it kind of shakes you a little bit. Yeah. And he invited me on his podcast at his house. And I went there about a week or two later and did the podcast. During the commercial break, he asked me if I would guest host it for him at his house when he was out of town a few days later. And I agreed to do that. And when that podcast ended, he said to me, Glebe, you're great. Would you like your own podcast on my network? And at that time, the only per people on his network were his close personal friends. Yeah. And I said, hell yes. And I told him I have a few ideas for the name. Here's one. It's called Last Week on Earth because I summarize everything that happened during the last week on Earth. And he goes, that name's brilliant. That's your name. That's your podcast, bro. And 
I'm like, okay, great. Turns out it was a news podcast, which is very difficult to do because you have to do it every week. You can't just riff and you have to do it every week and you can't bank them. And Joe Rogan said to me eight years ago when I started, you sure you want to do that? And I was yeah. like, yep. And he was like, okay. And he may have been right, but um, <laughs> it, it a just because it's enormous. You that advice. Yeah. Yeah. But just because it's an enormous amount of work, but it changed my life. Just doing a podcast that I put my heart and soul into again. All of a sudden, I was a player again. I was making my own destiny again. The auditions didn't matter. The other failures didn't matter. You probably felt like you probably felt rewarded because okay, I'm back in the game. I'm doing Big my own time. thing again. I just knew that I had something I could control in this business and in this life that you can't control very much. Yeah, I suddenly knew that I could control my destiny at least on that, and it was something that I could pour my talents and my energy into. And something that I could talk about, something that I could book guests on. And so my first guest was Blake Griffin, the NBA superstar. My second guest was Megan McCain. I'm at an event. Then I had Sophia Bush on because I met her at a game night and she wanted to do it. And then she invited me to this charity event that Seth Rogen threw called Hilarity for Charity. And I'm sitting in front of Brian Cranston that night. And I asked him if he would do my podcast. And his assistant, Taryn Feingold, was a fan of mine from Chelsea lately. And so she vouched for it. Then Sophia turns around and says, it's amazing. I just did it. And so Brian Cranston shows up in my crappy one-bedroom apartment. And I recall I did the podcast you at your did crappy one-bedroom apartment. Yes, you did. And so I did Brian Cranston was in... All these people yeah. came to my apartment. I had huge celebrities coming into my apartment. and Your neighbors must have been very confused. They were very confused. They're like, what is happening inside yeah. this little spot here? And, um, and that Cranston interview was another moment that changed my life because I was doing the podcast and it was resonating for me in a huge way. And I was going and doing stand-up shows where people would have me sign their hat and say, you're my, my third of the three big podcasters, you, Marin, and Burr. And yeah. I wanted to sign this hat. And I'm like, wow, to be seen in that company is, was quite an honor, quite a compliment. But I still wasn't doing like an even bigger thing on my own. I still was kind of resting on my laurels in the rest of my career. And during that interview with Brian Cranston, um, I asked him a question about this audition I had done where I felt like they weren't wanting me to do well and their energy was negative, as yeah. audition rooms often are. I felt like they were judging me. And um, and he goes, no, Ben, they want they want you to work. They want to find the person. So you're seeing that wrong. And I'm like, okay. And then I said to him, I know you did a lot of commercial auditions when you were coming up. I mean, a lot of commercials when you were coming up. Uh, because I guess that was how you got a lot of work. But do you ever feel like you were kind of selling out to whatever brand would come by? And he goes, yeah. are you kidding me? I loved commercials. That was my lifeblood. That's what enabled me to work in this business throughout all the other failures. And I said... I don't know, because I recently stopped going for commercial auditions and dropped my commercial agent and told him I didn't want to do it anymore. And he goes, really? Is that why, Ben? Were you booking them? Wow. And I go, fair enough. Oh, I also, Walter White with the oh, knowledge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I was yeah. like, fair enough. I, I was not booking a lot of them. And he looks at me and he looks around my apartment and he goes, well, Ben, I truly hope that you never become truly successful. And you keep living in this shithole apartment <laughs> so that we can say that's the Ben we know and love. And that hit me like a ton of fucking bricks. Wow. And the next day I did two things. I got a commercial agent again. Yeah. And I started redecorating my apartment. Yeah. And made it look cool. Remember when it started looking cool? Oh, yeah, cool? yeah. Good move on that, by the way. Yeah. Good move. Yeah. And that changed my life again and it, it reawakened me into this place where then idiot test came into my life which i was hired just as a host originally but decided 
I wanted it to be the best it possibly could, and I'm a bit of a perfectionist, and it's my face and name on camera, and so I wanted it to be up to my standards in every way, and so I became, for season two forward, the executive producer, co-executive producer and head writer, Yeah, and worked on every single test, as well as the scripts, along with amazing people that did the lion's share of the work, but I made sure that I vetted everything. Yeah, you wanted to, you wanted to have your hands on it because you were representing it, and mm -hmm. one of the points you made earlier about the real wedding crashers is that it never had a chance to succeed because it didn't know what it was. Mm -hmm. It was, mm -hmm. you, you can't be a heartwarming prank show. Mm -hmm. That's not, those are two completely different things. 100%. You know? And you, so you have to know yourself and you have to know who you are and what it is that you want to do. And sometimes you don't and, have the power mm -hmm. to, to do that. You know, and Real Wedding Crashers being your first big network show, you don't have the power to go, hey, 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 you guys are fucking this up. Exactly. And so, Even though I did say things close to that. But, but to, you're still much stuck. Much to the chagrin of my fellow cast members and the producer. Right, but you're still, you're still stuck. And sometimes... You have no power. Your, and, your statement is laughed at. And kind of the point that Cranston was making is that, you know, sometimes you have to be who they want you to be until you are big enough to be who you are. 100%. You don't get to call the shots until you call the shots. And that's a very important lesson I've learned many times in my life is... People's egos are way too big for their britches. Yeah. You have to have only a healthy ego is one that can fail and succeed. A healthy ego is one that can be big or small. It just depends where you are at that moment. And so throughout all of the years producing Comedy Juice, even in during my highs, even when I had my own show in development at NBC, at NBC Universal slash Fox, even when I had when I was a regular on Chelsea lately and was getting known nationally from that. Sarah Silverman walked in the room to play our show, or Dane Cook did, even though they were also friends of mine. When they walk in, I was there to work and service them. And I walked in, I'm like, Sarah, can I get you water? Do you like anything? Dane, you want a piece of grilled chicken? I'll make sure the order is right there in the kitchen right now. Make sure people that you're, you need to, to help and who's at the moment you're working for are happy. Yeah. And you're there to service because they're there as a favor for you. And your ego, when you're in charge, when I'm, I'm in charge, I demand greatness. And I'm sometimes maybe even a little bit hard to work for because I want the best from people because I know that I don't have an ego about it when I'm working for them. I will I will kill for someone. I will scratch and claw to make sure they get the best product that they need because when people do work and, and pour so their heart into the it, same. and I demand the same when I'm in charge. And if I didn't do it on both sides, then I would be hypocritical to not, but I do, and so I can. Yeah. And so it took me to this next place where I all of a sudden have started creating a lot of stuff again. I co-wrote a web series with Brian Drolet called Cynodopes, and then I just kept trying to create new projects and ended up creating a spin-off of Idiot Test that I called Political Idiot Test that I created, and then yeah. Telethon for America. I almost, uh, I almost, almost came in as the, wrote for it. as the writer for that, yeah. but then I was on the road, so yeah. I couldn't do it, which, yeah. which sucked, because it looked so fun. And it's so great to be able to hire your friends and hire comedians yeah. and hire talented people, and and uh, then I created the Telethon for America. I know we're a little bit long, but I have to tell you yeah. one more failing forward story. Oh, it's got to be quick, though. Very so you have quick. To, okay. You guys are a tight time limit on this podcast. We, huh? we have a tight time limit. Well, we're about to record another one. So I understand. I'm yeah. just saying this is like life advice. Somebody I know, can wait it's five important. minutes. It's very important. All right, All we'll right. do we'll do another one. What do we got? So the Telethon for America yeah. was during the most short, intense production period of my life. I had a huge failing forward moment happen, and sometimes it's gonna, the rug is, the rug is going to get pulled out from under you during something. We were on the road together when you were doing that, and yeah. like we barely talked. Yeah, because you were on the phone producing that the entire time. Yes, and that was before. 
the shit really hit the fan. Yeah. So I thought of this idea to create a telethon that would help drive voter turnout and I think played at least some small part in what was the ended up being the biggest midterm voter turnout <coughs> since 1914 and yeah. the record turnout among young people. And unfortunately, I just thought of the idea seven weeks before the midterms. It was a great idea. It was a telethon that wasn't raising any money. First it was a telethon raising awareness. To raise no money. It was raising awareness, taking pledges, people to vote the next day. Yeah. And to create voting squads to exponentially increase the amount of people that each person that we reached could, could reach. Brilliant idea. Thank you so much. And so we decided to do it, but it takes a while to get some meetings going and to figure out the direction and make some partnerships. And all of a sudden, it was literally three weeks until the show. And we got an agreement from one, I'm not going to name his name, but from one of the, I don't want to throw him under the bus, but yeah. kind, of, kind of screwed us over in a way, from one of the biggest, most legendary producers in this kind of business who put his right-hand person on our show and was, uh, was advising us and came in and literally with three weeks left, came into our production office. It was just me, Rick Sorkin, Hannah Lincoln-Hoker from afar, and this person that came on to showrun and after a day and a half quit. And we lost our showrunner with under three weeks until a show that we had to raise over $300,000. We didn't have $1 raised at this point. So we had no show. We had no studio. We had no nothing. And is that why you quit? Probably. <laughs> but it was their job to help us get that. Yeah. They're the one that knew all the contacts and all the people and they tried for a day. And then and they're like, this is hard. Yep. I don't like hard. And some other family things came up, but I still believe if you believe in a mission, you can make both work. Yeah. And kind of left us hanging. And I think anybody else would have quit at that point. It was insurmountable. And No, it wasn't. Well, it, it seemed. Right. It seemed insurmountable. For a lot of people, it would have been. Oh, yeah. It was insane. Shows like this take six months to a year to pull off properly. And we had now two and a half weeks yeah. to find a showrunner, hire a writing staff, cast a thing, book a space, create logos, graphics packages, music, make partnerships, get distribution partners, get distribution technology to cutting edge, be able to broadcast through an unprecedented level of partnerships. And all of a sudden, Barry Cast, my manager, came on board to produce it. He found us a new showrunner with two weeks until the event. With We got we started getting our first money two weeks in. We got a partnership with XQ, Lorene Powell Jobs, and Mark Echo's company that came in and sponsored us. Ended up being a huge sponsor for us. And then Comedy Central comes on board. And then one week and one day until the event, I, I, I pitched 10 days before Michelle Obama's When We All Vote organization. Yeah. And they officially come on board eight days before, send their COO out across country to come be there with us and finish our funding. And we now have seven days till the event and it's all coming together. And I was not sleeping. I literally worked a 25 hour day, which seems impossible, but I stayed yeah. up for 25 straight hours working, slept four hours and went right back to work. I was working 18, 19 hour days every day made it my mission, all of a sudden got an amazing writing crew together, piecing together, producers, people feeling it, filling in. And we went from two people, two and a half weeks before, to a crew of over 100 people on show day and 95 major celebrities in an event that helped impact the country. And so that's why I needed to squeeze that story in because yeah. even if you fail during an event, you haven't failed. You never fail if you don't stop. It's just a quick little hiccup. I think the real lesson learned here is when Kevin Smith asks you to smoke a joint with him, you do. Mm -hmm. That is the real lesson. Would here. you? Having never smoked before, uh -huh. I still might. Yeah, Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. If I'm going to smoke for the first time, mm -hmm. it's probably going to be with Kevin Smith. That's hurtful to me as a friend has been trying to convince me. That is actually true. Time. You and Josh Wolf have been on me. 
It's a joint, to... dude. It's like a beer. Maybe maybe on the road it's at some point. It's the equivalent of like a beer. We'll go back on the road. Anyway, uh, this is Failing Forward. Uh, our guest is Ben Glee. Ben, how can they learn more about you? Uh, you can subscribe to my podcast, which is coming back soon from a hiatus. At, it's called Last Week on Earth, at Ben Glebe on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I'm currently on my tour. Only a few dates left. And on Instagram, they can out. see more pictures of Henry Horse, right? That is a fact. And some very big news coming out soon that if it indeed does come out, as I hope, I do hope that you guys uh, follow and support. I know what that news is, and absolutely it's enormous. It's life-changing stuff. Big time. Hopefully so, not just for me. Yeah. But for the country. Um, for everybody. Okay. Anyway, uh, everybody listening and watching, uh, make sure to rate, comment, subscribe, all that stuff. And, uh, you know, keep listening for more episodes of Falling Forward. And I'm so sorry about the dog running everywhere. It's perfectly fine. I'm so sorry. This is, I like that there was actual shit on this episode. Uh, Henry's going to have a talking to later. <laughs>